Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I promise that we will not begin this podcast every day from now on with a discussion about Jim Jordan, but we will be starting it today. It's Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Leila Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. And Jim Jordan is in the news. We discussed it yesterday, Lisa, as a possibility, but now it's a certainty. How is Jordan selling himself to his colleagues as the best choice for House Speaker? I'm just amazed how quickly he changed his mind. I think at the beginning of the week, he's like, I'm not interested in the speaker job. And then a couple of days ago, he's like, well, I might be interested. And now he wrote a letter to his House Republican colleagues announcing his intention to run for House Speaker. Um, he says, now is the time for Republicans to come together and keep our promises to Americans. So in that letter, it was pretty much a regurgitation of all the Fox News talking points he's been spouting. He says, far left progressive policies are destroying our community and our security, our future. We're seeing federal agencies turned on the American people. We're silencing online speech, targeting parents at school board meetings, must address rising crime in major cities, nowhere else but major cities, and reject soft on crime, pro-criminal policies. And of course, he had to bring up, you know, Biden's open door policies. He says it's caused chaos in our country. And he said, he, you know, he painted himself as a hero. He said, well, as, you know, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, I'm doing the oversight and I'm holding the administration accountable. And, you know, he's pushing for fiscal discipline at the same time. But yet he voted to shut down the government. I got more than 200 text messages yesterday in response to a question about him right and left overwhelmingly they were horrified at the idea that this guy could be the house speaker he is just such a bad leader everything he does is is just ugly um it's the worst element of what has happened to leadership in this country and the idea that he's a candidate is well they they use the words they were horrified i mean they just they they do not want it to happen you have to think there there are some moderates in the Republican Party that can see that, that, that if that is what the speakership becomes, then democracy is seriously um, threatened. But, you know, the moderates had their chance on the vote for McCarthy. You know, that motion to vacate, they could have taken a stand and voted to oust him. But, you know, only like eight Republicans broke ranks to oust McCarthy. And, you know, already, you know, Jordan's getting accolades and, you know, from some of his colleagues, Mike Carey from Ohio, Daryl Issa of California, Thomas Massey in Kentucky, and Jim Banks of Indiana are all saying Jordan would make a great speaker. Banks saying he never backs down and has my full support. He never backs down. That's exactly what you want. Somebody who is uncompromising that will not move a single thing through. I, I really don't understand why the people who are sane in Congress, and there are some, don't get together from both sides, elect a moderate Republican and ignore these guys. And and yet it doesn't happen. They're, the, this, this fringe element of America 
is determining the fate of Congress. And everybody can see it's so horribly broken. This week is the best example. Donald Trump is probably equally an example of what's wrong with our democracy today. But Jim Jordan as House Speaker would would just be symbolic for the world that we are falling apart as a democracy in America. And, you know, as this goes forward, because they say it's going to take at least a month, I think it's going to it's not going to be you know, next day we're going to have a House Speaker. It's it's a process. But, you know, during that time, people are going to bring up the allegations in the wrestling program at Ohio State University, his alleged involvement in January 6th. So, I mean, it, you know, there there's a lot of mud to sling here. Yeah, I just you wonder when the sane people stand up and say enough, let's get some work done. I mean, it's the, the moderates in either party aren't that far apart. They could work together. They, you know, they did to get the government shutdown averted. Why can't they do it again? And, it, you know, this is again where you call on Dave Joyce. You're a sane human being trying to get stuff done. Why not work with some of your colleagues to undo this nonsense? Scary times for American government. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are Republican legislators in Ohio doing to protect the right of consumers to buy gasoline-powered cars if they wish, Laura? Well, Republicans on a state House committee, they passed a bill through their committee that would bar the Ohio EPA or any local government from blocking the sale of gasoline-powered cars in favor of electric vehicles. Now, to be clear, this is not happening anywhere. There's no move that anybody knows of to ban the sale of regular gas-powered cars, but They have the blessing of House leadership, and the full chamber could soon vote on this bill. It's House Bill 201. And um, they pitch it as a bulwark against inflation, saying unnecessary market restrictions increase costs. But again, it's like a solution in search of a problem. I don't know that anybody in the state other than the legislature could prohibit the sale of gasoline-powered cars. The EPA doesn't have that power. They couldn't unilaterally say, okay, Ohio, you can't buy those anymore. The governor doesn't have that power. I mean, you know, I don't even think local government could do that. If the county council tried to prohibit the sale of gas-powered cars, there'd be all sorts of lawsuits. They can't even ban plastic bags. (laughs) No, but I don't, I don't think they have the power to do that. I just, it's, it's, that's vested in the legislature. So if anybody were ever going to say, okay, we're coming to the end of the gas-powered car era, it would have to be them. So is this just grandstanding? Is this just playing games, playing to the fringe again? That's what it feels like. And honestly, this is going to be a market decision. Consumers are going to decide what kind of vehicle they want to buy, and that's going to be based on their beliefs and the the cost of gas and you know their trips. And so General Motors has pledged an all-electric fleet by 2035, and they're increasing their electric vehicle production because they obviously think there's a market for it. This is going to be something that consumers get to decide. I don't I can't see anyone outlawing gas cars. Right. It'll be decided. The federal government may or may not pay inducements to get people to switch over. But but that's the way this will happen. It's not that somebody's going to pick up a big stick and say no more gas cars. So it's just a hollow kind of thing. They spend so much time on nonsense down in the state. We're going to talk more about that. (laughs) Coming right up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. While State House Republicans are trying to protect our choice with cars, J.D. Vance wants to block something currently available as a choice on passports. Layla, why is he trying to limit how people appear on their passports? 
I mean, yeah, talk about nonsense, right? I mean, Vance has, has introduced what he calls the Passport Sanity Act, which forbids the use of the ex-gender on U.S. passports, passport cards, or consular reports of birth abroad, and require that application documents only include male and female genders. This bill is the counterpart to one that was introduced in the House by Texas Republican Chip Roy. And Vance says it restores some sanity in our federal bureaucracy. In a statement, Vance said, the last thing the State Department should be doing is wasting its time and your tax dollars pushing far left gender ideology. There are only two genders. Passports issued by the United States government should recognize that simple fact. So the ex-gender designation on passports was introduced by the State Department last year for the use of non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming people. But Democrats control the Senate. So hopefully Vance's bill is likely to bite the dust here. Clearly, this is just another attempt to pander to his conservative base, similar to his bill that sought to make English the nation's official language, right? Well, I was thinking yesterday that we probably should do a story about J.D. Vance and futility. I mean, he keeps doing this. There's a whole bunch of them, one after another. Mm-hmm. Sabrina Eaton lists them every time he introduces another one, but it's almost every week he introduces some ridiculous piece of legislation that has no chance of being passed just so he can send out press releases and say, look at me, look at me. But it might be interesting to do a catalog of the ridiculous nonsense that he's introduced that has no chance of passing to to just raise questions about What's he doing as a legislator? That's not leadership. Mm-hmm. You don't fight battles you know you can't win. And in none of these cases is he going to win. So it's just grandstanding nonsense. Exactly. It really is. Yeah. It's not what you elect people to go to the Senate for to play these kind of games. It's so different than Sherrod Brown. You know, Sherrod Brown doesn't do any of this. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Not all that many years ago, the arrival of the greatest show on earth in Cleveland meant a parade of elephants on city streets. Elephants have been out of the circus for some years now, but what else makes the arrival of the circus this week noteworthy, Lisa? I don't know. (laughs) That's a pointed question. But no, this is actually a reimagined show. So it's the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, greatest show on earth. Note that they don't use the word circus anymore. They've reserved that for Congress. But they'll be <laughs> they'll be in Cleveland okay. this weekend, starting tomorrow for six performances on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Rocket Mortgage Field House. Of course, there are no more animals at all. Like I said, this is a reimagined show. It kind of sounds like Cirque du Soleil in my mind. They have 75 performers from 18 different countries, a lot of brand new acts on trapeze, high wire, and bicy- bicycles and unicycles. And one of the performers is 25-year-old Wesley Williams of South Florida. He holds the world record for the tallest unicycle, 34 and a half feet high. He got his first unicycle at six after going to the circus and getting enamored of the circus life. There I am using the word circus. He soon began putting on shows in his neighborhood as a kid. He won Funniest Kid in South Florida at nine. And then he's become this full-time performer for Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. And they are all promising a lot of new acts. There's a triangular high wire. There's crisscross flying trapezes. And there's also a physical comedy troupe, which sounds interesting to me. And they're using more high-tech sound and lighting to kind of draw attention to different parts of the circus. I don't know if they are. Um, there I am using the word circus again. Um, and, you know, because they used to have three rings. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it sounds wonderful. 
Yeah, I mean, we're completely removing the animals is the the big move. Elephants, like we said, dropped out a few years ago. I remember years ago when I was covering a city council hearing, those things are interminable and you your mind wanders. And I looked out the window and there on 9th Street was the parade of the elephants. There were a lot of stories that showed that was very cruel for the elephants. And finally, yeah. the circus industry caved. I wonder how many people attend. I mean, is this still something... That resonates, or is this one of those things that parents looking to do something with their kids will say, oh, the circus is in town, let's go see it? You know, can I jump in? Because not that many years ago, it had to be in the last decade, because we took at least one of our kids to it. We went to the last time that the circus was here in town, and they already had phased out the animals. And it already seemed like it was mostly trapeze and motorcycles riding around in the circular cages Mm -hmm. and a bicyclist on top of a high wire, crazy stuff like that. And it was awesome. But not long after that, I was pretty sure that they said that the the circus was folding and they were they were going out and nobody was interested in it anymore. I'm really surprised to see that it's on the it's coming back. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really similar to the show that we did see, like I don't know, six years ago or mm-hmm. whatever it was, mm-hmm. eight years ago. So, so are you going? I mean, I was sad when I heard that because I, I I thought it had already evolved and I liked I liked the the new animal-free, mm-hmm. cruelty-free approach to it. And I thought, wow, all right, they have a future. And then I was surprised and sad that they were going to go away. It's great that it's coming back. I probably would go. Yeah. It Just was cool. It was really cool. Yeah, I th- It wasn't quite the spectacle of Cirque du Soleil. I mean, that's a completely different thing. But um, but it was it was really awesome. My kids loved it. I mean, okay. I'd, I'd be willing to see, yeah, and I actually have a story. I won't t- tell it here on the podcast, but they used to have the parade of elephants in Houston every year. And I had a very close encounter with an elephant because they used to give away the elephant dung, which was extremely popular. Why would you want that? For fertilizer and compost. People okay. came with a garbage bag. It was extremely popular. I'm going to admit something that will now set Laura and Layla searching for it. But when I was a very young reporter, I had to go in an assignment and be a clown in the circus and rode an elephant. Oh! As oh. a clown on an elephant. If any cool. listeners find this on the internet, please send it I to us. I can't goodness. believe you just admitted Good that on that. the podcast. You're, You're going to edit that out. You're going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Some entertainment industry leaders in Cleveland are launching a census on the health of live venues. Laura, what is their aim? They really want to get some actionable information out of this. And they want to look at just the live music venues and the theater and and the people who work in them and get a better idea of where we are and where we could go. So Sam, Sean Watterson and Cindy Barber, they're the owners of the Happy Dog and Beachland Ballroom, respectively. They're building this coalition. They've got Sound Music Cities, that's Austin-based, that's going to work on this, and Cleveland Rocks, Past, Present, Future, and the Cleveland Independent Venue Association. They've gotten a bunch of support from the Cleveland Foundation, so money to help this, to launch what is called the 2023 Greater Cleveland Music Census. And they want to figure out the healthiest and most economically viable version of the live entertainment scene here in town. And they're going to collect data across thousands of performers and venues, but the people that are already doing this work and I guess how to help them. Yeah. It's a constant battle, right? I mean, you're trying to keep that 
industry thriving, it constantly hits challenges. It, it This is a first step, I guess, in trying to fortify it. Yeah. So they want to know if everyone's getting the kind of support they need, which my guess is no. And they want to encourage people in the the music scene to to talk about how they were encouraged to pursue their craft. Do they feel beat up? Do they see a way to make a living at this? And they want to make sure that the entire community is supporting these venues because it's not just art, it's the economy as well. And we all need to, you know, if, if we want it to stay here, we have to support it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This seems like such a no-brainer good idea, it's hard to believe it's not working. We're talking about diverting people accused of crimes away from the jail into a center where they could get help for mental health and drugs or whatever else is pushing them into the crimes. Hardly anyone is getting sent to the Cuyahoga County Center. Layla, what is up with that? Well, it's it's getting incrementally better, but it's it's still not great. This This is a 50-bed facility at the beginning of 2022, not long after the diversion center was was getting started, it was admitting an average of seven people per day. And as of now, the center is housing just under 29 people per day. So there's been an uptick in, in law enforcement bringing people to the diversion center and people are staying for more days than before. In the past, the center would go for weeks without a resident being referred to them by law enforcement. But now police are successfully referring two or three people per week. So that's good news. But there are some weird wrinkles in this story. First, a a second diversion center is being proposed by the Adams Board, St. Vincent Charity Medical Center, and Metro Health. That seems really odd given that this one is barely at half capacity. But also, as, as County Councilman Michael Gallagher pointed out in a hearing this week, the diversion center was supposed to be designed to alleviate the crowding at the jail by providing this alternative place for people with mental health or drug problems. But instead... They've opened their doors to the general public, too, and they take walk-in admissions, it seems. So in Gallagher's words, what we have is a mental health services building disguised as a diversion center. So the uptick in the numbers might be a reflection of the public's increased use of the facility, not necessarily referrals from criminal justice system. Well, I guess that's because there's a need for that, but it's just odd that we're not getting people out of the jail and into this center. It makes so much sense. Is it possible that it's because the people who are in the jail, the overwhelming majority, are accused of such violent crimes, you can't put them in a diversion center? I think it sounds more to me that that there's a major problem with a lack of understanding of what the diversion center is among police officers and whether police supervisors are, are cool with officers using it because there was a survey that they did that's t- where 20% of officers had never heard of it, had never heard of the diversion center. 17% said they had heard of it, but they weren't exactly sure what it did. And about 30% of officers said they weren't sure if management was supportive of the diversion center. That's a lot. And when a person is is not committing a crime, but is showing signs of substance abuse or mental health crisis, Officers were twice as likely to say they would take that person to the hospital rather than any other option. Only 13% said those situations typically ended with a person being taken to a diversion center. So it sounds like what they need here is some law enforcement training Mm -hmm. that includes a full understanding Mm -hmm. of the circumstances that should prompt an officer to take a person to the center and, and give officers a tour of the facility, show them what it does. I mean, it it sounds like they opened this thing to great fanfare and then didn't help officers 
figure out what to do next. Wasn't that kind of on Justin Bibb and Chris Ronane then to get yeah. that message out there? Sh shouldn't they be the ones as leaders getting with the people involved to say, hey, come on, let, let's get involved in this. Where are the people seeking the solutions here? Yeah, right. I mean, this to me, this was the most eye-opening part of this story was how few officers know about it, let alone are availing themselves. Yeah, of this. you've got what fifty-eight or fifty-five municipal police departments that really need to know about this, and you know they they have their processes. This is a big change in process. It really, as Layla said, it takes a lot of education and a lot of awareness. So let's get on that. I mean, that's the key. So why, why aren't the people who put this thing together doing that? Hopefully they will. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Speaking of people who get arrested, we've got a couple of noteworthy ones this week. A former mayor, for whom the video of the arrest is brutal to watch, and a schools worker. Lisa, what are the details? Public officials behaving badly. In the first case, former North Royalton Mayor Kathy Lux was arrested in Parma recently. She was pulled over for speeding and expired license plates, but she refused to cooperate and drove away from the traffic stop, and she was chased by officers and then crashed into an unoccupied tow truck on Pearl Road. She told officers, oh, I used to be the North Royalton Mayor. I don't know why she said that. Maybe she thought they would give her a break. But she, she hasn't been mayor since 2007. She was cited for OVI, open container, expired plates in Parma Municipal Court. But the failure to comply will actually go to Cuyahoga Common Pleas Court and to a grand jury. In the second case, Bay Village Schools technician Michael Streets was indicted on two counts of sexual battery for a couple of in incidents in November and December of 2019. He'll be arranged uh, October 18th in common police courts. He was accused by a 17-year-old Bay Village high school student of having uh, a relationship with her while she was in high school. Um, these were alleged to have taken place in Lakewood Park. Streets was put on leave June 26th, but he resigned his position on July 10th. And then a letter went out to students' families from the superintendent explaining the situation. Yeah, just now, which is inexcusable. Mm -hmm. they, they should have explained when he originally was suspended that something was going on. And to claim now, well, we had to keep quiet because of the criminal investigation. Who's your responsibility to? Your responsibility is to the parents. And for, for parents to be wondering about this is not okay. I, I think it's inexcusable how they, they dealt with this one, finally coming clean months later. Yeah. And as the parent in Rocky River, where we've had our share of problems with administrators and kids, I mean, at least we knew when the investigation was happening and they right. pulled him to like the minute they found out about it, it was two days till the end of school and they pulled him out of school at the minute they knew. And I mean, that's, I, that's gotta be better. At least we yeah, know you should, you should just give the basics. I mean, you can't give everything and you have to be careful because they're not uh, guilty or convicted mm -hmm. yet. But th I, I just am astounded at the difference of the way di school districts deal with this. And this is way off. On Kathy Lux, the, the officer's video, um, God, it's just brutal to watch. She is completely out of it. Um, there's, there's like a minute where he's trying to 
to get her into his police car. And she just keeps saying, I want my stuff. I want my stuff. When he first pulls her over, he's trying to ask her questions and she puts the car in drive and just takes off. It's, it's one of those you're watching and thinking, what are you thinking? Uh, the, the, the officer video of these kinds of things really opens your eyes to what they have to deal with. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb has attacked crime and violence in several ways this year, raising police pay and working on criminal sweeps with other agencies. His next step is about spending a cool million dollars. What will it pay for, Layla? This million is the first spending from Cleveland's Violence Prevention Fund, which is seeded with $10 million in American Rescue Plan Act money that the city approved earlier this year. And the city is going to open up the bidding process October 9th for groups who want to receive grant funding from this million dollars. So to remind listeners, this this money is held by the Cleveland Foundation, which will use it to fund local groups that are working to fight the root causes of violence. And the plan is that the foundation will invest the unused portion of it, which will help the the fund be self-sustaining into the future. And then meanwhile, both the foundation and the city will keep raising money. And the goal is to stretch this money out for well over a decade. Bibb this week also named the nine people who will sit on an advisory committee that'll decide how the money gets spent. And that, in gr- that group will include city council members Stephanie House, Danny Kelly, and Richard Starr, city planning director Joyce Pan Huang, youth and family service or family success chief Sonia Pryor Jones, and then community relations director Angela Shute Woodson. And there are also c- community members on this panel who are well-known activists or mental health professionals. So any group that's seeking a portion of this violence prevention grant funding, they have until November 15th to apply. And then by December 15th, the recipients will be announced. It's not clear yet, though, how many groups they're going to choose or how big the grants will be. But it's a very uh, aggressive schedule and a tight window. And uh, hopefully we'll see some, some great programs getting funding out of this. In a little bit of a way, this is participatory budgeting. It's groups that have strategies for dealing with something that the city is fighting, getting money to do it. It's the city that decides who gets the money, but it's... Yeah, that's the key. That's the key difference between participatory budgeting. (laughs) But it's regular people who are trying to come up with ideas. So Bibb has tackled the crime issue on a bunch of fronts, so he hasn't stood idly by. It's good to see you're listening to Today in Ohio. Wednesday must have been Culture Wars Day for Ohio leaders, with Jim Jordan attacking the Democrats in his bid for House Speaker, J.D. Vance going after transgenders, and in the State House, state lawmakers following Vance's lead. What was the move on transgender bathrooms, Laura? So there was a hearing about legislation that dictates which bathroom transgender students must use, and Republicans opened with all sorts of claims that gender-affirming care will, quote, destroy children's bones and, quote, damage their brains, and then ended with an anecdote with absolutely no follow-up or information at all to legitimize it, that a child in Ohio was the victim of a gang rape by an athletic team, and unspecified officials did nothing but encourage her to transition and become a male if she couldn't handle it, which is just so absurd I can't believe it. And then we followed up, asked the attorney general's office, asked the uh, representative who was Beth Lear from Galena, any more information because it seems so hard to believe that this is true. And they had zero evidence to back it up. 
Yeah, it sounds preposterous. She refuses to provide anything that would back it up, which raises real questions about the credibility. What's what's not good is this is an official hearing on a law and a legislator making these specious claims without providing the goods. That's not the way public policy is supposed to be built. Right. I mean, I, really, testimony like that, speak, it should be thrown out because if you refuse to provide the evidence that that actually happened, it shouldn't influence the decision on the law. It's kind of a shameful performance by a legislator. It feels like the doctor who said people were magnetized by the vaccine, really. And she got questioned on it. A Columbus area physician, and she's a House Democrat named Beth Liston, she corrected Lear's testimony on the number of chromosomes in the human body and questioned other studies she studied, other studies she cited. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like she's got her facts correct. And this just, just feels like rather than talking about bathrooms and schools, it was just throwing all sorts of like scare tactics around. Adam Byrd, he's a new Richmond Republican, lead sponsor of this along with Lear, claims that girls are assaulted in locker rooms by biological males. Like what? There's no evidence this is happening. Yeah, this is just to demonize transgenders. It's the, the Republicans who are doing this are showing they're willing to villainize a tiny segment of the population to, to build their credibility in the culture wars. And it's just kind of despicable that they do that. Well, and I struggle to think, okay, two things. How are they going to enforce it? Are they going to have a bathroom monitor doing genital checks? <laughs> Second of all, what is the, what is the punishment? Who gets arrested? Who gets charged? I mean, this it's crazy. Well, I think that goes right to it, Lisa. It's not actually about doing it. Mm-hmm. It's about taking a stand and harumphing and trying to show that they're they're doing something when there's no practical effect. And it's a tiny portion of the population. We, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be making villains out of people. Uh, and they're willing to do it to, to play to the fringe. It's, it's really embarrassing so on so many fronts. Ohio's elected leaders are embarrassing the state. Uh, we talked about how many different stories today where that's happening. J.D. Vance, Jim Jordan, this, you know, even the, the gasoline cars thing. It's just more culture wars instead of public policy getting things done. Well, and the, and the victim in this case, okay, if you're a transgender woman or you're a cross-dresser and you walk into a men's bathroom, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to be the victim there? Right. That That's really the key. The, the, the number of times when people are uh, where transgender people are assaulted while while using a bathroom that doesn't align with how they, you know, w- with their gender identity, that is so much more prevalent mm-hmm. than any of these wackadoo claims they're making about transgender people assaulting, pe- you know, that's just, that is just, just doesn't comport with reality. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. We're done for a Thursday. We'll be back on Friday to wrap up the week of news. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Today in Ohio.